You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there, and welcome back. Today's guests are people you have probably already heard of. Joining us today is Lythana Dalton and Roy Huggins, owners and founders of Person-Centered Tech. So to give you some information about them, Roy was an independent web developer for many years before making the transition to a therapy private practice. He quickly found that the mental health profession needed expert guidance on technology topics. Roy founded Person-Centered Tech in 2010, and after helping answer colleagues' questions about legal and ethical use of email, and his research to answer the first question exposed him to the industry's difficulties applying the HIPAA-mandated risk assessment perspective to issues of technology. Lyeth is Person-Centered Tech's deputy director and a co-owner, and as the group practice service plan manager. She is especially passionate about helping group practice leaders be resourced and supported in navigating the security compliance process and identifying the solutions and processes that meet the particular needs of their practices. We are so glad to have you with us today. So many people have already heard so much about you and the work that you do. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. I'm I'm excited to have you guys on because the services that you guys provide um, are so needed, uh, and I see it on a daily basis when I work with with practitioners. You know, as this is a podcast that's based on compliance, obviously, um, it's really surprising to me as an attorney in the field um, how many practitioners aren't even aware. You know, no, not necessarily through any fault of their own, but because mm-hmm. no one's taking the time to teach them or show them how to do it, and they certainly didn't learn it in school. Um, about the things you need to be doing to have a practice. So a lot of people go in this thinking, I want to practice or I'm going to do it, but they're not thinking about all the stuff that happens on the back end. And, you know, I think it's really going to be really exciting to have you guys here to talk a bit about, you know, how you guys service um, mental health practitioners. Yes. Right on. (laughs) So a lot of questions, some that I'm very curious to hear about. Um, But for anyone who's listening who happens to not know about person-centered tech and what you do, can you tell us a little bit more about person-centered tech and what you do? Uh, So person-centered tech, the kind of Cliff Notes version is that we are a continuing education and consulting firm for mental health providers specifically focused on HIPAA security compliance, risk management, and the uh, effective utilization of tech in your practices. So figuring out ways to utilize tech uh, to increase the security, functionality, and efficiency of practices. And then all of that kind of provided through a legal ethical lens um, because we're passionate about making sure that the solutions that we're looking at for the issues we're considering are workable in practical terms. We also do telemental health training. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. I mean, right. not that that's on anyone's mind right. now or over the last year and a bit. Right, exactly. Well, you know, there's a particular word that you use, Lyeth, that's really jumping out at me, and that is 
and we're really passionate about. And mm-hmm. that's actually one of the things that I wanted to ask you about because, you know, HIPAA probably isn't the thing that most people are just super excited and passionate about, right? If we're mm-hmm. thinking about something that might help you fall asleep, if you have insomnia, reading some HIPAA documents might be that thing. Um, and so I personally am often wondering, you know, why in the world do Roy and Lyeth do what they do? I'm really appreciative that you do what you do, mm-hmm. but I am often wondering what drives your passion for doing a thing that many people are not necessarily super excited about. Well, you know, someone has to. Um, that's actually, that's kind of the story of my life. Someone has to do it, uh, personally. <laughs> but like, uh, it's also, um, it's funny you say it makes people snooze. I found it makes people really anxious. They'll have a hard time that, sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> they try to read about it. But oh, I would too. agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Even, even if they're reading the, the the rules themselves, because like the security rule, they'll just be like, I don't understand a word of this. That's making me anxious. That. I could definitely understand that. But yeah, I know it, for me, it's really just an issue of, uh, I had the background, the, cr- you know, the crossover background and people needed it. And that's, you know, kind of when you're a tech nerd, it's hard to escape that vortex of people being like, we need your help. Uh, no matter where you go, even if you go into a profession that has absolutely nothing to do with tech, suddenly you're back there. Yeah. Yes. But I know Lyoth has other reasons too. <laughs> yes. I think, <laughs> you know, for me and and my background being in, community and social justice work, but primarily in the area of human rights law, I look at HIPAA security compliance as something that is fitting in with human rights law because of the importance of privacy and healthcare info privacy being a human right and being fully ensconced in the idea of healthcare as a human right. So that intersection is really interesting to me. And then above and beyond that, it feels like an important way of helping improve access to care and care outcomes by supporting the providers in being able to effectively and securely serve their clients, meet their clients where they are. So I like to think of the the work that we get the opportunity to do as kind of amplifying the good work that all of you guys are doing. Right. Well, I know that I am super appreciative of what you do. And I think that that's also really helpful for people to hear, right? I think sometimes when we think about HIPAA or HIPAA compliance, it seems like there's one more thing, Um, but Mm -hmm. also remembering all of those other whys, all of those reasons to make sure that you're doing it and doing it well are really important to keep in mind. Yeah, it's interesting. You your your answer is interesting because it's it mirrors my own reason for being a mental health attorney. Essentially, mm-hmm. um, I guess you can call me that. I'm also a business law attorney. You know, but since I work with mental health practitioners, that's the reason I do it. Is that um, and, and in discussions with people who are accountants um, working with mental health practitioners, basically anyone who's not a mental health practitioner who works with mental health practice practitioners, the impression I get is underlying it all is a belief that there's a service that mental health practitioners are providing and it's a community. It's a, it's a desperate need one uh, by, by American society. And mm-hmm. so the people who are on the periphery, like, you know, doing other services to help practitioners underlying it all and everyone I talked to, and you just said it yourself is this belief that by helping them, you're in fact helping try to make things better. Mm. Um, and so I think it's really fascinating that you guys have this niche where you are because you guys are certainly more well-known, 
But I think that there's really no one else out there. And I did some research on my own, you know, even preceding mm-hmm. this, <clears throat> our meeting today to see who else is doing what you're doing. And I, I did not see anyone who's doing it to quite to the extent that you guys are doing it. Right. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. All of our competitors are not a perfect Venn diagram match. R- right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're mostly colleagues anyways, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So a question I have for you is, you know, what are three biggest mistakes um, that you see practitioners working with? Because you guys work day in and day out with practitioners in all aspects of their practice in terms of compliance. Are there three areas that you are can really, I don't know if easily, but but definitely point to as seem to be repeating, you know, in, in, in everyone you work with, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> was, um uh, what's interesting like, I got is, 10. <laughs> yeah, we got, we have we can make a pretty big list, but but I mean another way to say that I think is what's like low hanging fruit that people can fix pretty fast and easily that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's sort of what's interesting is is we have kind of segmented our services into you know things that are aimed at the solo practitioner and those that are aimed at the group practitioner because we've learned the uh, you know, basically, if you're running an organization of multiple people versus not doing so, it just makes a gigantic difference to how you yeah, manage. Sure. And so the um, so I'll I'll talk about the solo side, and then Lyeth will take it up to the group side. It'll be an interesting little exercise. But like to me, like okay, so thing one is um, just what we like, we like to call digital hygiene, and and that's a reference to just how everybody handles their devices and their digital accounts and stuff. Um, and so I'll talk specifically about your devices. Like I'm holding up an iPhone. Um, my iPhone is used to handle client information. So it handles protected health information. Uh, and so I treat it as such, which means that, you know, I'm a counselor. Like I learned in school to put my files in a file cabinet that locks and make sure that file cabinet is in a room that locks when I'm not at work, you know, your double lock standard. Uh, so of course, same exact same way, my iPhone is configured for security. Right. So like I have a strong password on it. Uh, I it's um, well, iPhones don't need well, they can't use antivirus. If you if you ever find an antivirus app for an iPhone, it's a lie. It's not really an antivirus app. Um, it has its own way of doing that own way of doing firewalls. Um, I have my own policies for keeping it on me. I don't lend it out. Depending on where you are, that may or may not sound funny. I'm in Portland, Oregon. I work in downtown. Lots of people will ask to borrow your phone uh, for genuine reasons. Mm-hmm. Like really honestly, they'll just be like, I need, I really honestly need to like call my caseworker or something like that. Mm. And, and, uh, and I'll be like, I really can't let you borrow this phone. I'm sorry. I just can't. It's got health information on it. You know, uh, various, you know, various other things I do, but they're all really easy to do. Um, actually, I'm surprisingly shockingly easy to do. And you don't need any special software. You don't need to buy anything. It's just on your phone. And this is true. Mm-hmm. Your computer, your phone, all of it. The one exception I'll let Laya talk about because she has a rant. Uh, which is awesome. Um, You're holding but, back, by the way. I can see her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking. She's just like, oh, I'm so ready. I'm good on this. Right. No, she is. She totally is. And, and like, um, you know, and like, because otherwise, other than that one little thing, which Elias will tell you all about, uh, the, you know, basically everything you need to do for what we call device hardening, right? You know, and the general digital hygiene of just taking care of your, your digital, you're your taking care of yourself and your loved ones when it comes to your devices. Really easy. They're all there. Like they're designed to be able to do that for you. With all, with just you know, switch flips, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but we don't do it, and it's not because we don't care. It's because there's a, like you were saying earlier, we weren't trained in school to do this. Even my own students, like I teach, I teach the ethics class at my counseling program, and I don't have, I'm, you know, I'm like one of the national experts on this thing, mm-hmm. and I don't have the time to get into this. 
in that mm-hmm. class. I'm spending the time talking about like, hey, you know, boundaries. <laughs> That's important, guys. And they, of course, totally believe in it, but they need to learn about it. You know, so getting into the details of hardening your device, I tell them, harden your device. You know, they get that. They get that basic idea, but the details aren't there like they are for the classical ethical legal conundrums we have. Um, that right there is a big thing because it's super easy to do. I mean, really, you can do it in five minutes for all your devices. Uh, and it makes an enormous difference to, um, you know, avoiding HIPAA problems. Just because, like, suddenly your devices become, you know, immune you know, immune in a practical sense to things going awry if they got lost or stolen or someone picked them up. Like there's just little things you can do that make them really, really resistant to one of the most common ways people actually actually get in trouble with HIPAA, which is, especially at the solo level, not that common. But do you, do you th- can, can yeah, I quick, quickly ask, yeah. do you think also that one of the other potential kind of causes is that people find it overwhelming? You know, technology mm-hmm. in itself yeah. is constantly changing. Yep. I talk to a lot of practitioners who are very capable and very intelligent people, but when right. you ask them simple things like, what kind of encryption are you using your email? They, they just kind of lose it. They have no idea right. how to respond. And right. I wonder, do you find in the course of what you guys do or talk to your students, is there a side of a level where people think it's a lot harder than it actually is? Oh, yeah. In fact, like when I, I, I with, with students, you actually get to talk about these things in depth because they have to sit there and talk to you. Whereas with colleagues, like they'll just be like, just help me figure it out. And then I'll go talk about something else, which is fine. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, so students like get into that. They'd be like, I mean, we're talking people who are in their late twenties, early thirties, you know, and they're like, I just have, you know, I get so much conflicting info about what works and what doesn't that I've just given up on trying. And so the thing we do at person centered tech is we really have, we're very clear. Like, these are the things you do. These work. You don't have to do those things. They don't work. Um, but we're just one voice. So like I said, whole, like having to build trust and build, build in everybody a, an assurance that we do know what we're talking about. And if you do what we're saying to do, you'll, it's not, it's actually really easy to do um, this particular thing. Not everything about HIPAA is easy to do this particular yeah. thing. Right. I mean, to go to your point mm-hmm. about like lack of, of comfort, that yeah. is a huge factor. And it's one that we actually talk about a lot because in our view, there's kind of a whole continuum on the tech comfortability scale from like tech averse and tech phobic to mm-hmm. tech comfortable, tech ambivalent, <laughs> tech proficient. And uh, a lot of folks in this space are coming typically from kind of a tech anxious point of view. It doesn't, hasn't felt like something that can be a tool in a therapeutic practice and something that can support and enhance the establishment and maintenance of an effective therapeutic alliance, mm-hmm. it seems something kind of foreign to them. So bringing it in as uh, something that does not have to be scary, that can be used as an effective tool, can be really exciting once you, you get to that point and kind of build up some confidence that you're utilizing it in the right way. No, I was going to say one other point. Do you find, I, I found this with, as from an attorney's perspective, mm-hmm. that some of the clients, there's a, a generational thing happening mm-hmm. as well, that right. because you have practitioners who have never used a computer or never right. used electronic files, and all of a sudden you're talking about encryption and things like that, they look at you like a deer in headlights. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's the, you know, the digital native, digital immigrant concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Ofrazer talks about it a lot um, for good reason. And um, I, I have discovered 
Elias, you back me up on this or, or like, you know, cause I know you're, you're there right there with me on this one. Like um, for a number of people, depending on, and there is a generational gap here. There's a fear. There's a, this is what we talk about tech anxious versus tech comfortable. So tech comfortable doesn't mean, you know what you're doing. It just means that you're not worried that you're going to blow up your computer. If you click the mysterious button. Right. And like people who are tech anxious are worried it's going to blow up their computer. And that makes this, enormous competency gap because the people who are tech comfortable are just going to click the button and then deal with, it. Mm-hmm. you know, and then and through that process, they learn how the thing works and they get to it. And that actually is very generational. You know, people like I am, I'm sort of the early adopter. I'm technically would be digital native because I was like 25 when I got my first cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, I started with BBSs before the internet was really popular. So I'm very ahead of the game on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people, I'm 44, a lot of people, my own age, it's very mixed as to whether or not they're nervous about that or not. But I should say, even even the youngins aren't always confident about it. But they're just a, it's just you know, it's a issue of degrees. I mean, they're just like the the least confident ones are just a lot more confident because they just had a lot of experience having to learn a new interface every five minutes. Because you know, with apps coming out all the time, they're just constantly faced with having to learn how to do things anew, uh, and they're just a lot more comfortable with it, which makes a lot of sense. It's completely understandable for those who didn't grow up with that. And I think even in on in addition to the technology piece, because there's totally the technology piece and how comfortable people are with that. You know, one of the things that Dan and I are often talking about is providers needing to go to the source of information to get their answers. Right. Yeah. So whether right. that means looking at your actual code of ethics to see what do mm-hmm. they say, going right. to your state, your state's board website and reading the regulations or contacting your professional liability insurance and going to solid sources of information mm-hmm. to get your answers rather than guessing or asking others yeah. and not going to the source. I think one of the challenges here with HIPAA is that if you go to the website, <laughs> which would be uh-huh. the source yeah. of information. Yeah. You know, you have the consumer side and then you have the side where you would go if you're a, a health professional. Mm-hmm. And one side is very different than the other. The one is very user friendly. And if you go to the side that you need to go to as a health professional, you're going to click on a link to another link to another link. And before you know it, you've entered yeah. into a rabbit hole of links and you don't know where you mm-hmm. are, how you got here, and you still don't have the information that you need. And so I think that one of the things that you all do really well is helping break, helping providers do what they need to do to be compliant, but in a way that is user-friendly so they can do what they are supposed to do as providers without getting lost and overwhelmed in the shuffle of just Mm. the way that the information is organized and put out there. Right, right. I mean, along those lines, so I I mean, I I keep, Kind of in my head, I keep going back to a thing Daniel said earlier, so I just got to answer it, right? Which is, Daniel said, as an example, you know, I'll say to a client, a mental health clinician, what kind of encryption do you use? So imagine a, a physical world analogy of that question. Like, what's an analogous way of asking that question? So it'd be like, what kind of lock do you have in your file cabinet? <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know, one with a key. <laughs> like, who cares, right? Like, you know, it's a lock. That's what matters, right? And so, like, the, the real question is, is it, so, I mean, the question that really is relevant, um, but it's not the way HIPAA frames it or the way guidance frames it, is, is your email secured, right? Cause especially because actually technically as a, as a techie, I'm like, encryption is just one piece of that, sure. right? It's the biggest piece, but it's just one piece, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, when we, when we go around using the language HIPAA uses, we're, we're using the language of information system security professional, not therapists, not even medical doctors. Like, we're not using any of that language. 
And so that that big rabbit hole of guidance pages, which by the way, I had the same experience. Like I know, I, obviously at this point, just don't even bother. Laya finds those things because she is motivated to look through documents and I'm not. Thank you, Laya. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, you all should. I hope everyone thanks Laya for a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff <laughs> that is out there that has saved a lot of people a lot of headaches and money and and, and time that Laya found for them. I, I got to tell you. Um, and I often get the credit for it, which is not fair. Um, <laughs> but like the, uh, yeah, it's a pain in the butt. And, and yes. like, it still uses the same language. It's like, you know, you need to use encryption. I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, the problem is, what's, what does that mean? Encryption just mm-hmm. means scrambling at using a secret code. Like, I used to joke, like, uh, oh, your email needs to be encrypted. Great. So I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get out my little orphan Annie decoder ring thing and, and make up a cipher. And I'm going to write my emails in the little orphan Annie cipher and send the same decoder ring to my clients. And hey, my email is encrypted. I'm HIPAA compliant. Right. And, and I joke about that because no, no, really, that doesn't work. <laughs> like there's like there's a lot of other problems with that. So if we talk about it that way, we not only um, make it hard for the the actual people on the ground doing this stuff to understand how to do it, because they don't know what that translates to in reality. Like, what does that mean? I mean, I don't control my email. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not the one constructing emails out of bits, right? You know, Google does that, or Microsoft does that, right? And then and then the other side is the whole like so then. But what does what does HIPAA actually care about in terms of encryption and security? And like, I need that translated to a product name or a product type, right? right? That's what I need, not like encryption of emails. And the problem, of course, is that the language in HIPAA it always says like, oh, it scales. You know, it scales to all sizes of practice, no problem. With solo to giant hospitals, all the same standards, and that's true. Um, but uh, if you do not have an IT team whose job is to do all of the implementation for you. So that you just work and they just hand you things and do trainings for you, then it doesn't really scale. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that is so evident with HIPAA, and you guys mentioned it, the fact you have the click and click and click and click, right? Right. Yeah. And, and I see this a lot with Maryland law, with things that, that pass in Maryland, and I'm sure for the other states too, is that the people who are writing these laws and passing them a mm-hmm. lot of times have great intent. Yeah. But they're no more knowledgeable than the average nope. consumer. And nope. they're just like, it would be a great idea if we yeah. had this. Great. Let's write a law for it. And yeah. they do it. But that doesn't t- tell anyone how to actually implement it. Right? right. And I feel like that's where you guys are really so valuable and important to the mental health practitioner. Right. Right. And, and so, like, you know, to bring that back even to like the, the specific hanging fruit, like I talked about like digital hygiene with phones and computers and such. Right. And, and I know like, so the thing is, um, so that can actually get blow up even bigger when there's more than one person in your organization. Right. So I want to hand it over to Lyeth because Lyeth, what happens then? Yes. Right. What happens then? Well, and this will be a concept that Melissa is very familiar with, uh, <laughs> having, having done the partner HIPAA security program with, with PCT for her group practice. And that is the whole concept of the covered entity or the practices security circle. So your security circle is where it is appropriate to have protected health information that you are responsible for. So that circle is comprised of the HIPAA appropriate systems like cloud-based systems, third-party systems that you're utilizing, people's hardened devices that you use to either create that PHI or to access the systems containing the PHI. 
when you have a practice that's comprised of, of multiple people, maintaining the integrity of that security circle and keeping it from becoming porous is really one of the most essential elements of just good risk management, uh, but also uh, technical and practical compliance with HIPAA's security rule. So an area, of course, that comes up as a way for that circle to become really porous or just completely broken comes up with use of personal devices, but also, and that's one that most practices honestly honestly will kind of have that niggling sense of, ooh, yeah. we're not really covered here. The bigger blind spot actually comes in with use of personal services. So having clinicians, for example, yeah using personal phone services, even if it's like a Google voice number or something, so they're not disclosing their personal phone number, that's breaking the circle of the practice because they know the responsible party no longer has access to or control of the system that is containing that information. So is unable in that instance to meet their HIPAA security compliance requirements. So our kind of drum that we are constantly beating as we're helping a group practice go through the compliance process is, is it in the circle? How do we get it in the circle? What do we need to keep in the circle? And kind of approaching practice leadership from that perspective of creating and maintaining the integrity of the circle is one of the most integral elements of protecting mm -hmm. your practice. And, and so what happens if um, people are using their own devices? Like you're, if you're, you're, your clinicians are using their own smartphones and computers. You need a policy and a <laughs> process uh -huh. uh, so that you are able to ensure that all of those personal devices have the necessary technical security measures in place mm -hmm. to protect the info that's passing through them and that people understand and will abide by the accompanying behavioral measures. And you got to document it because with HIPAA documentation or it wasn't done. And especially well, in the context I, of the, oh, go ahead. I'm a practitioner. It's all in my head. I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't need to write this down. Why would I, I can tell people what they're supposed to do, right? I mean, that isn't that, right? You'd be surprised how many times I've had someone yeah, tell oh, me. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I know what I'm supposed to do, but does everybody else know what they're supposed to do? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the kicker. That's, that's, that's one of those points where it's kind of one of my complaints about the scaling is, um, you know, if you're a solo practitioner, to be HIPAA compliant, you still need the full manual policies and procedures, even though it's all for you. I mean, you could argue that you're not going to remember everything that's in there because you're not. But, you know, actually, I, I actually do think in all honesty, a lot of solo practitioners, if they know all the things they need to do, can maintain it and hold it all in their head without a policy. I think that's the truth, but I it's not compliance. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I've had that discussion with, with, with practitioners and I, and I say to them, it's not that you shouldn't have something written down because you should be having this written down, oh, yeah. especially at some point, yeah. if you want to scale, then this mm. is already the steps that you would take anyway. So then you have something in place. What I often find when I'm talking to practitioners is there's the difference between you guys can tell me if you think differently. You know, it's the difference between if I have one, two or three employees, it absolutely must be written down, must be in a cohesive, you know, mm -hmm. uh, thing that they can digest and they can refer yeah. to. 
Right. You know, if it's a single practitioner and they say, well, look, I have a Word document where I've written all this stuff down. I know exactly what my, I want to run yeah. things. Is that fine? Usually that's fine. Probably um, fine. Yeah. It becomes more important once you start adding people, because right. now what I always tell the people is when you step out of the office, what happens? Do people know what's supposed to happen if you're not there? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the difference is, is that you should always write it down. But the question is, once you start out people, people need to know what they're supposed to be doing, even if they claim they know, you know, ethically well, or know they're, they're going to do all kinds of things you don't know about. Correct. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, 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 you want to riff on that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here making a face like, oh, my gosh, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll do they'll do what it takes to, like, serve their clients and then do the things that they figure they need to do. And hey, like therapists are an ornery bunch. Like we're independent. Like if we weren't like that, we would, you know, there are other professions that we can go into. You know, like we do this, like, even if you don't go into it, figuring you're like being an ordinary person, it's kind of the process of becoming a therapist makes you one. So it's, it's like, you know, you're like, I know what to do for my clients. I know what they need. I know how I need to go about doing that. And so I'm going to go get a Google voice account, like my said, or I'm going to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's really one of the, the mm-hmm. big areas, especially in the group practice context is that people, the providers aren't breaking the circle or going outside of what is HIPAA appropriate out of malice. I mean, at least 99.99% of the time, it is all very well-intentioned. And it's typically because they don't have at their disposal through the practice, the functionality to take care of their clients. You know, so they will find a means of meeting that need for the client of being able to communicate with them between sessions or whatever it may be. And that's generally where the biggest area of, you know, risks being ex- exposed or introduced into the picture comes up. But if you don't have a policy that prohibits use of personal services, yeah. right. people won't know any better. Yeah. How do they know? That actually brings up a a good question. And I've heard this and I'm sure maybe you guys have heard this and I've had questions say to me, well, look, you know, I'm not that concerned about it because uh-huh. I know what I'm doing and why do I really need to worry about HECA compliance? It's so unlikely that something's going to happen. Let's yeah. be honest here. And I'm like, that's the worst thing you could possibly just said to me. That scares me the most. Like as mm-hmm. an attorney, I'm like, Oh my, yeah, I'm assuming you probably have heard something similar. What is your response to those people who might tell you that? <laughs> I actually saw on you were about to ask that because it's like, <laughs> because yeah, that thing of like, so, okay, great. So you got a policy that says to you, you don't use your personal services. Mm-hmm. And then there's a question of, okay, why do I care? Mm-hmm. Right. Why do I care to have a policy? Why do I care to follow that policy? I mean, other than just like, I work there, so I'm going to follow the policy. Right. So, Hey, hey, Lyeth, have you noticed, um, have any of the people we work with ever actually gotten a, a letter from the feds due to, because of something involving HIPAA? Let's not say oh. specifically yet. What yet? <laughs> yes. Yes, they have. Uh, was it because they got randomly audited? No, it was not. No, it wasn't randomly. Wait, wait, wait. They didn't get randomly audited, but they still had contacts with the HIPAA people? They did indeed. Oh, how on earth did they come to the? I'm cringing, by the way. I'm literally yeah. like biting my. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my god. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> so, so, how did they come to the hippie people's attention if it wasn't a random audit? There was a complaint. Dun dun dun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, 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 in one instance, about their therapist. Oh, how mean! <laughs> right, the odds of that are so 
so small. Right. It's like, well, what's interesting is like, so what's kind of funny is like the vast majority of the ones we've seen were literally an ad- administrative staff member, not a clinical staff member, but sometimes clinical staff uh, sent an email to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. is that, is that something that comes where HIPAA comes in? Yeah. You just disclose uh, yeah. PHI to the wrong person. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, if I write a letter for a client and come out of the waiting room and like, you look like my client, I'm going to hand it to you. Oops. Honest mistake. And it's always an honest mistake. Right. But like the thing is, so the issue here is not, did you do something that the feds think is bad? The issue is you did something and someone feels harmed. Right. right? It's just like a licensure issue. It's exactly the same. It's not just a, you're supposed to do it, dot all your I's and cross your T's, or we're going to come out and complain for you not crossing your T's. Like the way you encounter the HIPAA people is someone complains, right? Or you have a data breach that you have to report. Mm-hmm. And like, and that actually includes that, that misspent, that missent email. That's a data breach, mm-hmm. right? You end up having to notify the affected clients and the feds about that. Although you can, you can wait a long time to tell the feds and they, depending, they're, they're just going to file it away. Really? <laughs> but like, right. but like, but what they're going to well, do, depending on how bad it is. I'm just right. Yeah. Right. The one, the one missent email and it's the only thing you've ever done. It's really unlikely they're going to take any action other right. than sending you a letter, but which is what they've always done in these cases. <laughs> trying to mass mail all clients yeah. and did not blind copy, which is why we oh say God. just by you the way, You guys make me so anxious topic, right now. <laughs> I'm going to say. I'm like, oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, Dan, don't come work in our office. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to be so anxious. <laughs> we've, we've seen, unfortunately, seen that exact thing happen in multiple instances where a practice wanted to communicate something to all of their clients, intended to send the communication as BCC, did not, mm-hmm. and suddenly have a massive yeah. breach. Really massive. Well, as massive as the, the size of that list. Hopefully it's fewer right. than 500. But when it's not, yeah, yeah that's But when a, it's not, that's, that's a, a yeah. Story. So far we haven't seen, we haven't seen someone do 500 or more, but like, I really dread and just knocking wood, I just know it's going to eventually happen where we're going to have to tell that person, you have a large breach. Right. You have to like take out an ad in the paper that says you did that. And I'm um, sitting here going, how are Roy and Lyotts so calm? Like, I'm so anxious. I would be so anxious dealing with this all the time. And you guys are just like, we just immerse ourselves whoa. in it. Well, you know, getting a letter from the HIPAA people is not the end of the world, right? Not, I mean, a, that's not if you have your ducks in a row. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like if I mean, you're, right. yeah, exactly. <clears throat> That's it. If you have your ducks in a row, it's really something you can absolutely just turn with. It's really not, it's, yeah, it's not the end of the world by any means. I would agree with that from an attorney perspective is mm-hmm. when I've had situations come up, whether it's a state licensing board mm-hmm. or some other legal issue comes up, if someone can come to the table, comes to me and says, well, here's everything I have in place. We're good. I can handle this. You know, what do we, you know, how do we respond to this? And we can respond and show that we've done everything right. We, as we often say on here, we crossed our T's and dot our I's. It's a lot easier to respond and it's a lot less nerve wracking. What I found is the clients who have no idea what's happening and you go and you start waiting in. And like you guys said, you're like, Oh my God, this is really bad. (laughs) And there's no plan, no organized structure on how to deal with it. That's where it gets a little crazy. And you're saying that from the perspective of the person who has to defend them. Right. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the perspective of us who are trying to prepare them to not have to get defended. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. from our perspective, the exact same process accomplishes both things. Right. Because, and the reason what that means is that the HIPAA security standards are not out of nowhere. They actually do work. Mm-hmm. That's one piece mm-hmm. of it. Right. Like I'm a, 
I'm a past techie guy. I'm a counselor. Really, I'm an infosec information system security guy, right? Um, like Lyoth is also pretty good, strong in the infosec, but is really strong in privacy, right? Which is another area, right? So like we look at these things and we go, well, you know, you do care. You don't want your clients' records in the hands of some random bad guy, right? No, of course I don't. Like if I suggest to somebody, why don't you just go ahead and leave your file cabinet in the waiting room and don't bother locking it? Because you know what would be more efficient than the, the way you're doing it now is if you actually just like had the cabinet out there and the client's names were written really big <laughs> on, the, on the folders. And when they come in, they just grab their folder and bring it into you, right? Yeah. And then you like might write your note, put it back out. That is way more efficient than what we're doing right now. If I say that, therapists freak out. Like, they have, like we have like what I call the therapist spidey sense. Like it tingles like crazy. Like people have a, a intuitive, visceral understanding that that's a terrible idea, right? Right. Uh, right. But when we can't see the data like that, uh, it just doesn't it doesn't go off. And I, one of my 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 hypotheses about this with my colleagues in therapy is that. Um, you know, we're high touch people. We're super intuitive. Like we, we take all those academic skills and we try to train ourselves to hone them down into intuitive responses. Like I can also describe it, like, you know, in counseling theories, what's going on with my clients. But when I'm actually sitting there talking to them, I'm not usually thinking through the theories. Like my, my, my body and mind just sort of set up to do that kind of automatically, except for certain moments when I'm like, oh, okay, I think about that, you know? But like, that's how we function. We try to intuitivize our processes. And we're, you know, most of us aren't really big on thinking in language about things like security or ethics, right? Um, we need to be better at it, but, you know, I'm an ethics teacher, so of course I'm going to say that, <laughs> right? So like, so the, the, the thing is, it's like, if I, if, yeah, if I can see that my client's data is sitting exposed in the waiting room, my, my spidey sense goes off and I go, no, that's not good. But if I, if my, let's say I'm an office that's got a bunch of client records on the computers in the office. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, the world is full of risks. I'm going to lock my doors and, and go for that. And then someone breaks in and steals all your computers because they want to sell them for meth. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to be uh, facetious or even funny. I mean, that is literally what happens. Right. You decided that encryption sounds funny. I, I don't need to do that. So those guys have all your hard drives full of data. So the thing is, it's like, so, but it takes a techie to describe it. It has to be mm -hmm. described. All those records are now in the hands of some random guys who want to sell the, the folder is full of data, which is the hard drive, for money because they can get easy money for electronics. And the, the criminals they sell it to, are they going to want to look at that data? Oh, hell yeah. You know how much that stuff is work on the, worth on the dark web? Yeah, medical records are real valuable, right? More valuable than credit card info. More valuable than credit card info, right? Well, and oftentimes so, they'll have credit card info in it too, sometimes, correct? Oh, God, they shouldn't. That's not, that's not PCI compliant. But, but, but I'm just saying, let's <laughs> yes. be honest here. Like, yeah. <laughs> in the grand scheme of working with practitioners, yes. oh, that would not yeah. surprise me. That <laughs> Now, quite, quite a few do, unfortunately. But yeah, like, right. let us, let's just be a sort of a quick lesson. That's another of the three things. Don't put payment card info in your files. Mm -hmm. Ever. Ever. Mm -hmm. Ever. There are, other, there are easier, actually, ways than doing that, too. So like, you can make it easier right. on yourself than that and be secure. Uh, yeah. But the, so like at that point, the clinician is like, I, when I do this, actually do this exercise in my trainings where I just describe this and just like get people to notice how it makes them feel like what their intuition does. And they're like, they, I watch their faces drop at imagining their clients having this happen to them. And I'm like, see, there's your mobilization right there. You get it. Like the, the, the only thing missing is like digital data popping out at you and showing you where it is. And, and is it locked or not? Like that's the obscure bit. And so people get overwhelmed and give up on it because as a society, that's what we've done. We're just following the social norm of giving up. Mm -hmm. And so the, and like in the professional norm is, is poorly stated on, unfortunately, 
or is haphazardly stated. Um, and that's, you know, I can't really blame anybody for that. It's very difficult to get it together on this kind of concept because not a lot of us actually really understand it very well. Right. Including those in leadership. Right. Mm -hmm. So like the, so we find ourselves in these situations where we're like, my spider senses don't tingle because I can't see what's going on until someone tells me that I just screwed it up because all my computers were stolen. And now I know that all those people's records are in the hands of thieves who are going to sell them defenses, who are going to sell that data to identity thieves. <laughs> and now I feel terrible. If I had been HIPAA compliant, one of the things I would have done was encrypt all that data, like making sure my client, making sure my computers never store information without encrypting it first. And then I actually, the HIPAA rules have a, have a safe harbor and the breach notification rule that says that that encrypted data is essentially nigh and vulnerable. And I can basically just pretend that I, I can basically just treat it as being completely safe. And, I, and now suddenly, not only am I not having to notify the feds and the clients that this happened, because that's in the law, I also have this assurance from the standards that I didn't just mess, screw over all my clients. And that's the thing is like, so we're the ones who want to prevent you from being in trouble. Mm -hmm. We want to help you prepare for that. I got to tell you, the process is very similar to what Dan ends up doing if he has to defend you. Right? Yeah. If you get this, those ducks in a row, it works. That's, that's like the number one thing I preach is yeah. I'd rather fix the problem or address, you know, the yeah. compliance issues first so we don't have to do the legal issues yeah. later on, right? Exactly. If you do it right the first time, then you're not trying to fix it from behind. I also get the sense that you guys probably see this, that once you work with someone, there's a peace of mind that comes here. Like, I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've talked to clients, we figured something out, something out before it became a huge issue. And then they're like, I feel so much better. You know, right. Right. To, to, I guess it's sort of the one to follow up on the question I asked, there is a peace of mind that you guys are offering people here, mm -hmm. right? And that's another reason to do this yeah. the right way is that if you do it the right way, then you can breathe that sigh of relief that so many people, you know, need when they're, when they're, when they're dealing with this type of this yeah. stuff. Absolutely. I think uh, we talk about being proactive rather than reactive yes. all the time because it is so important. And I think, you know, when we're approaching this whole undertaking of security compliance and risk management, we're doing so with the goal being that we are seeing the process as being about client care and meeting responsibilities and obligations to clients rather than some arbitrary technical requirements that have been unfairly imposed. Because there's kind of that feeling of this is unfairly imposed on me because I'm not a big hospital organization. Why do I have to jump through the same hoops they do? What does it matter? Like, no one's going to go after me if I don't have a policy and procedure manual. That's wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, what does it matter? Yeah. But if you think, okay, this is a, a tool for me to be able, it gives me the, the kind of means and a, a framework for being able to meet my ethical obligations to clients of ensuring that their information is secure and confidential. It's a whole different undertaking then, right? Yep. And a lot so, more motivating. I was going to say, you know, for anyone who is sitting here anxiously listening and anyone who's sitting here saying, I'd really like that peace of mind that they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. How can people find you? How can people get in touch with you to find more about 
what you do and your services. Personcenteredtech.com is our website. And through there, you can uh, connect to our group practice services and to our solo and solo plus services and resources. We have a lot of free resources. We have uh, two great opportunities for just ongoing direct support and consultation with Roy, myself, Mm -hmm. the rest of our consultant team. And those are our office hours and group practice office hour services, respectively. But please come on over to personcenteredtech.com and see what there is to explore and reach out and connect. Yeah. All right. I think that wraps it up for us today. Uh, We want to thank you guys for joining us. This has been an awesome conversation. And, you know, just uh, like they said, uh, please go ahead and check them out on the web. Contact them with questions. Uh, We hope that you've had a, a good time listening to them as we had. I found this really informative. And I actually feel like I could t- sit here and continue talking to you guys for like a whole another hour. So, uh, but we are grateful for you guys for joining us. To everyone listening again, thanks for joining us. You know, we can find us on Facebook, of course. Um, go to our webpage. Please reach out. As always, as I always say, please feel free to submit your comments, your questions, your critiques. You have anecdotes you'd like to share with us. We'd love to hear it. Um, if you have questions, please ask them. We may even put them on, on the next episode. But other than that, we, uh, we, again, thank you. And we will talk to you soon. And uh, thanks for coming by. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.